Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior and IGA nephropathy warrior, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of those with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's get to it. Well, hi, everyone. My guest today is Tony Berardo, a Crohn's warrior, video creator, and fellow podcast host of the Berardo Podcast, where he's in pursuit of health, happiness, and good conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tony, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's go ahead and we'll just jump right in. So why don't we go ahead and start us off by sharing your Crohn's story and take us to the beginning when you were first started to have symptoms and then up through diagnosis. Yeah, thanks. Uh, wow. How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> we'll make it a two-parter <laughs> if needed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as you know, I assume uh, a vast majority of your audience are, are Crohn's patients or uh, know someone who is. And uh, for me, I didn't really know a lot about the disease or how, you know, common um, irritable bowel syndrome is or any type of, uh, you know, uh, colon uh, disease or chronic illness. And I didn't know how common it was. So when this first happened to me about going back maybe eight years ago, I started having some pretty gnarly symptoms. And, you know, to put in perspective, I, I think it was 26 at the time, 25. And usually looking back now, once you get closer to late 20s, primarily in men, I can't speak for women, but that's when you get usually the diagnosis. Yeah, I was in my mid-20s. I think I was 24, 25. I can't remember exactly, wow. but I was in so my perhaps, mid-20s. Perhaps it's the same for for females as well. Super interesting, too, because um, as you look back, and now I'm starting to get a little bit more deep into everything regarding health and wellness, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. But uh, in, in your late 20s, you don't really expect that, you know, to have those type of issues because you're like, you're young, you know, whatever. But I was having some some interesting issues that not a lot of Crohn's patients deal with, and I'd love to get your feedback on this as well uh, down the road. But I was having kind of like these uh, these spasms, stomach spasms, but they were in the very bottom of my intestines. And usually, with most Crohn's patients, I would say seventy uh, percent. Um, and I'm just throwing out fake numbers here, but uh, <laughs> but about seventy percent or more usually just have. Uh, uncontrollable IBS symptoms and uh, usually have to go to the bathroom, right? Well, with me, it's kind of interesting because I just get so backed up that I'm completely fine. I don't have any symptoms. And then when it's like red zone, when it's like time that I feel like I have to go to the bathroom, I can't even go. I get so backed up. It's like completely full and I get constipated for days and days and days you know, sometimes up to five days at a time. And it, obviously, as you know, uh, if you've been in that situation, it's like the worst feeling ever. There's brain fog, there's exhaustion, uh, obviously you're bloated. I mean, there's just so many horrible symptoms. And I get so backed up that I actually have to go to the hospital. I go to the ER. And then they pump me out completely. So they put in an IG, uh, what's the tube? IG. The nasal, um, I forget the name of it. Yeah. Nasogastral they, something tube. That's right. <laughs> they usually do it to like pump out stomachs of people that are about to have alcohol poisoning. So me, they actually put it in the nostrils and then they bring it all the way down the esophagus through the throat to the stomach. And they have to literally suck out, sorry, TBD. But, <laughs> so the but, whole podcast is about. <laughs> correct. Yeah. We're so not alone. To... <laughs> Someone out here listening is. He's going through the same thing, I promise. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Makes me feel good. Um, so they have to suck out literally my entire intestines because it's it's so inflamed that nothing goes through. Because my my Crohn's scarring, if we want to call it that, is at the very, very bottom. It's like the last eight inches of my intestines. And that's when it gets completely clogged. That's why I don't feel it until it's too late. Um, so anyway, it, this was happening to me for years and I was just kind of dealing with it, going in and out of the hospital and, um, doctors and gastrologists were telling me, oh yeah, you know, you just block, block you know, blocked up and, you know, we, uh, we'll take x-rays and CT scans. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's backed up. You're fine. Just take, uh, take this magnesium citrate or whatever that laxative is. I forget what it's called. And they're like, yeah, just, um, just drink this and you're, you'll go to the bathroom. You're fine. And it worked for a little bit. Side story, I'll interject here and then I'll, I'll have you continue with yours. But I think I think constipation is an issue that a lot of people don't necessarily think about when they think about IBD. And mm -hmm. I only have really known about it because I suffered with it quite a bit, too. So I obviously 
I've had mm. all the different symptoms, everything from bloody, uncontrollable diarrhea. But then I also started more in the last probably 10 years or so, I started battling more bouts of constipation, which is the complete opposite of what you would think. And there's times I would go to my doctor and I literally, I had an x-ray done of how much poop was backed up in me. And it's, you know, that's always fun. It's like, well, there's a there's yeah. an x-ray. Nothing's wrong. I'm just full of poop. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. And then I go get my prescription for the whatever citrate. And uh, so you're not alone. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't believe how common it was, you know, now that I, obviously I know, but uh, they were just so quick to tell me I was constipated because of my age. But you would think that, you know, they're smarter than us. They should be anyway. And if I'm in my mid-20s and I'm going to the hospital, I was going to the hospital four or five times a year. Uh, and the ER, like it was to the point where I would throw up. It's like nobody takes a second to think this could be something more. It wasn't even a thought. It's unbelievable now that I think about it. And then, you know, after a few years of doing that, then eventually I saw a specialist uh, out of Florida here. And immediately when I describe my symptoms, they go, oh, well, you, you probably have you probably have Crohn's. And I was like, no, no, no way. So, of course, they did a colonoscopy. I had my first colonoscopy in my late 20s. Exciting. Um, and, you know, they popped out, sure enough, scarring at the bottom of my intestines. Um, and uh, it was to the point where we were so, um, I forget the word, but it was so scarred up and there was so much extra tissue around it. So it's so doubled down on everything. And, of course, they've talked about surgery and things like that. And I don't want to do that quite yet. Um, but eventually they prescribed me some medication. I've tried a bunch of things, different steroids and, um, different, uh, pills. And then I did Humira for a while and that was, uh, for about eight months and I got really bad infections from it, skin infections. So I stopped using that because if people don't know Humira, they say is a good, um, medication for some, uh, but there is a lot of side effects because essentially it just kind of blocks the immune system. So the goal is to fight the Crohn's, but of course you're prone now to everything else on God's green earth. So it's like what I'd rather deal with my Crohn's the right way. Um, so this whole story, when I was first diagnosed doing that colonoscopy all the way up into a Humera was about three year journey. So now here I am, um, almost about eight years I've been dealing with symptoms, but for two years I've been, I don't want to say in remission cause I still have it, you know, attacks and stuff. But I'm I'm off medication. Um, I haven't been to the ER in almost two years. And um, it is not because of Humira. I got off Humira the second I had reactions. And this, of course, disclaimer here. This is not for everybody. Of course, I'm sure, like you've mentioned. But, you know, again, I always looked at it like I made the mistake, which is why I love your podcast. I made the mistake of going to 10 doctors in the course of a decade versus like, talking to Crohn's patients because, you know, if you want to know how to play basketball, you ask Michael Jordan, you ask LeBron James, right? Like you don't just go to a bunch of coaches and say, Hey, what's the best way to play basketball? So, and again, nothing wrong. I mean, I have buddies that are doctors. Uh, they just, we're always learning new information and sometimes, you know, we don't get it right. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's science. It's always changing, right? That's the great thing about science. But, you know, uh, I think it was 50 years ago or almost, you know, 70 years ago, something like that, that doctors were prescribing cigarettes to patients because they thought it was good for them. And then eventually we learn it causes cancer. Oops. Yeah. Made a mistake. So it does happen and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not mad at the doctors, but it does irritate me a little bit because I think if I first walked in after my seventh ER visit and they said, hey, man, you might have Crohn's. Maybe it won't be as scarred. As, as it is now, um, you know, but going constantly getting impacted for a decade. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it didn't help. I think that's one of the things that frustrates me most about our medical system is it's almost as if you, the patient, is the only one who's looking at your entire health history because you'll go into the ER and it's and they don't care about anything other than that moment. And then heaven forbid that turns out you actually came in a month ago or two months ago, however long it was, nobody's paying attention to it. And even I've even had primary care doctors where they were just in their own little myopic little field of view and they weren't even looking outside of that. And it's so frustrating as the patient to be like, why am I the only one yeah. that's looking at anything and putting it together? Yeah. And it takes 
three, four years to get a diagnosis. Yeah. And, you know, even when you get the diagnosis, right, like, you know, you could change. Like as we get older, our bodies are literally dying. Um, so things are going to constantly change and evolve. So you have to keep up with it. And sometimes you can't rely on, you know, a doctor or a nurse that has hundreds of patients a week. Uh, I mean, they got a lot going on. It's a very hard job. It's a difficult job and you got to make tough decisions. And at the same time, it's also a business, right? So there's a lot of turn and burn. Um, you know, it's like you ever go to a restaurant during like 7 p.m. happy hour, the server does not want to get to know you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, <laughs> yeah. they're like, hey, it's great. Where are you from? Oh, that's awesome. Pay me my bill so I can get the next table. I mean, that's just you got to understand that's just how it is. Unfortunately, that is the issue to your point with the healthcare system as it is a business. And maybe if it was more. I don't want to say leaning towards like Europe or Canada, but if it was somewhere in between, I think, yeah, I, I think that's happy because it's even more interesting to me, uh, just kind of going back to my uh, egotistical story here, is the uh, the only thing that's helped me um, during this during this uh, two years that I've been off medication is my nutrition. Yeah. So that was the next thing I was going to ask is what happened? What was that transition from you tried Humira? It worked. You used it for about eight months. Ended up with side effects. What was the the path you went down to figure out what was going to work for you? How did you end up staying out of the ER for the next two years? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think just like a lot of uh, you know alcoholics, it takes like that one crazy story that gets you to stop booze. You know, was, and that's kind of how it was with me. Humor for me was like it because after that, they said if that didn't work, I was going to have to get surgery in my thirties. And I'm like, hell no. So when, when they said that they go, well, okay, well let's, let's take a look at surgery. Were they wanting to take your colon out at that time? Yeah. The, the, the scarring part of my intestines. So the kind of where it is, but of course they're like, well, the side effects are, it could grow and you know, you never know. And, um, and I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to try something. And I just switched up my diet from eating pretty much whatever I wanted, which I'm, I've always been relatively healthy. I was a personal trainer, you know, when I was 18. So for decades, I've been in the health and wellness industry and I have the experience in it. So I've always been passionate about it, but I've always eat, you know, um, 4,000 calories a day, uh, just kind of, you know, breads, carbs, pasta, you know, but I would work out a lot and I would put my body under stress and, you know, I would do as much weight as I possibly could. And, um, I would eat every two hours because that's what I'm supposed to do if I want to be a man full of testosterone. And, you know, so I started cutting out red meat and I was still having issues. And then I started cutting out red meat and chicken, still having issues. And then I went uh, just straight like pescatarian slash eggs here and there. So I would do like a little bit of chicken, more fish than anything and a couple of that. But then I was still having issues. So then I'm like, ugh. Let me try plant-based. Damn it to hell. I don't want to be a, I don't want to be that guy. But, you know, as I'm saying this, I realize now I'm like in my beanie. Like <laughs> I'm not trying to be, but. Before you continue, you weren't necessarily vegetarian. You didn't lean towards keto, yeah. meat-based, anything. You were just kind of anything and everything. No. Yeah, not really just, I mean, healthy. You know, I would do uh, a salad a day, but my salad would be an entire chicken breast, grilled chicken breast and. Um, you know, for breakfast, I would have a cup of oatmeal and some egg whites. And um, it was very, like, if you look at my entire meal, it was healthy for sure. But it was a lot. I mean, it was every two hours I was eating. It was 180 pounds. And I'm 5'5", five, five, to put in perspectives. And had you figured out any of your trigger foods at that point? Or was that part of this process of kind of whittling down the diet? Yeah, I had to whittle because, you know, I did the, when I was going through this whole transition with Humira and all that stuff, I did the... I tried to figure out my trigger foods, but because my trigger foods, they didn't, I didn't get triggered until I was full, until my intestines was full. So that was the challenge with this stupid scarring in my intestine. It's like, you know, if let's say it was hot wings, that was my trigger, let's just say, I wouldn't know until it reached the bottom of my intestines. So it was like this weird thing. And then plus, sometimes I would fast for days. I would just juice and water and coffee and stuff like that. But then I would still have attacks so then the doctor was like well maybe it's stress are you stressed out and i'm like jesus oh no i'm not stressed we're we're floating in space at like a thousand miles an hour and there's people all around me and i, I don't know if there's ufos and who made the pyramids no i'm not stressed of course i'm stressed it's all stressful plus you don't know what's going on with me so <laughs> <laughs> right 
So yeah, just, you know, I was like, you know, I'm just going to try this. And, and I literally did when I talk about, uh, I cut out red meat. So when I cut out red meat and then I did chicken and fish to see if that worked pescatarian, I mean, I did that for like three months. So this whole process, me going to this is about 18 months, almost two years. Is that where you found relief was kind of in that pescatarian? Better, definitely better. Uh, I stopped going to the hospital when I did that, but I was still having some pretty gnarly Crohn's patients. No, these gnarly uh, stomach spasms that are like in the bulk of your intestine, just these like, like that inflamed. So, but I, I realized that when that does happen, that's when I juice. So I have like um, celery, turmeric, uh, ginger, and I just straight up juice spinach, but I juice the food. So I get rid of the fiber of the juice and the juice, you're just getting the nutrients. And I, I would do that when I start to feel just a little bit, like even if it's a little pain, like oof, immediately I make juice and then I do that for about a day or two. And then I'll, and then I'll actually keep with my diet after that, once I feel relief. Um, but I've realized that for instance, helped me and I've been plant-based for almost, so like two, three years, like legit plant-based. I'll still, I'll still cheat and have like a couple egg whites or something like that here and there, but um, and then I have honey for those weird vegans out there that are like, oh, you're torturing the bees. I do have honey, so I guess I'm not full vegan. I don't know what you would call it, but um, that has given me great relief. And again, I still have issues. I think I always have issues, but I've been able to kind of control it and I, by keeping my diet clean. And even when I eat out, I bring my own food. Mm -hmm. So I just don't, it's not worth the risk to me. Have you ever had any restaurants give you trouble? Because I've done that before where I've, I've literally taken my own food into restaurants and it's like, sorry, oh, you're yeah. going to kick me out. You're going to kick me out. But I'm here with 10 other family members who are all eating and drinking. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully you'll turn your head and look the other way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I have um, asked, you know, been asked to either put it away and I leave, you know, but uh, yeah, it's just one of those things now I just don't really eat out anymore. And um he does much rather, I should say. And somehow, uh, shockingly, I have more money. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I money down, so. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's one of those scary things uh, that you just got to kind of deal with and put up with. But if, um, you know, if, if companies and businesses and people aren't going to deal with it, then, you know, it shouldn't be in your life anyway. But it makes such a difference, too, when it's actually when you are getting relief from it and you're actually feeling better to be able to even just go out and be with people, it makes such a difference that it's the sacrifice is easier in that sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I even had, uh, we went just the other day, uh, so I'm in Tampa to put in perspective. So we, we drove to Orlando for my wife's cousin's two-year-old birthday party. Life is weird after 30. Um, so we drove to Orlando and I brought a cooler full of food for me. Um, and then when we got there, they had like Oreos and pigs in the blanket and, you know, kids, a kid's party. It's not for me. I didn't expect them to have like vegan shit for me, but so, but I didn't even ask, I just brought it. And then, um, you know, when 30 people were hanging around the kitchen, I go up to the host, uh, his name is Mike. And I go, Mike, um, can I use your microwave? And he's like, yes, yeah, is, is something cold? I go, yeah, what I brought. <laughs> and he goes, really? It's like. Why? What? You don't like any food? And I was like, dude, it's just, I'm picky with food. That's all. And sometimes it's not even worth like talking about. I'm just like, I'm just picky with food. I just have allergies. That to me is, you know what I mean? It's better than dealing with the whole Crohn's thing. Cause then you're like, oh, well, doesn't that mean like if you have hot wings, you're going to have diarrhea? And I'm like, uh, not every patient's different. And then I end up going through this whole podcast with people about, <laughs> and I'm just like, can I just use your microwave for one minute, dude? Like, so it's, Again, it's I'm okay with it now, but it did take a really long time to your point to kind of get comfortable with everything. What are some tips you would share with people who are who've never traveled with food before or are thinking about it? Do you have some advice to share in that in that arena? Yeah, I think this advice not only uh, is good for, for Crohn's patients, but just humans in, in general. Just stop listening to everybody. You know, just uh, when, when I started listening to my body. Uh, more so than like friends or even family members, uh, I I got instant relief. And it's when you can uh, when you can kind of put aside what people think about you and just do what's best for you. Because 
no one really cares about you as much as you think they care about you. I mean, of course, that sounds shitty, but like your spouse, your family, of course, they care about you. But I'm talking about like people that aren't important to you in your life. Um, you know, you just got to you got to put that stuff aside and you just got to do what's best for you because you can live you can live a normal life with any type of chronic disease like this if you just stop, you know, worrying about what people think. And yeah. you just it does take care about yourself. takes a lot of stress off to not be so concerned because I, I know the first time I started taking food places or like you and I just told people I'm just picky. It's it's stressful to think like, oh, everyone's going to ask me about this. I'm going to be the center of attention. I don't want people to have to put extra you know, effort into it or people want to cook different things for you. And it's like, just don't worry about it. Forget about it. They're going to go on, like you said, to your point, they're going to in the next three minutes are going to be onto something else and they're not even going to care about the food I was eating or brought. So. Yeah. And especially with like TikTok now, like every seven seconds, someone's, they, yeah, they're not worried about you. They're going to, they're about to watch the new trend on TikTok. Like it's, it's no big deal. And, you know, again, I look at it like, um, what's worse, right? Is it worse to have an outbreak um, and an attack at a party that lasts a day, two days, maybe got to go to the hospital, God forbid, or do you spend a minute of your time heating something up in the microwave and people give you Snickers behind your back? Like, you know, who cares? <laughs> yeah. So what were some of the other things that you found in your journey to help? Did you change anything in your lifestyle as far as stress reduction or focusing? I know one of the things you focus on in your podcast is mental health. Uh, you talk about that. So what are some of the different lifestyle factors that you've also worked into your your overall treatment and quest for better health? Yeah, it's such a good question. Because um, I think it's probably more important than your food, actually. I think a lot of Crohn's patients can get away with like eating whatever they want if their mental health is is better. Because I, I uh, the research at least I've done and from my personal experience, stress to me is the biggest reason why we get inflamed, not just in our intestines, in our body, but in our brain. And, um, you know, it's it, it's so dangerous to not have your mental health on point all the time. Easier said than done naturally, but I think... One thing I personally did was I it's so it's threefold. So number one is uh, who am I surrounding myself with? So that was one thing that really helped my mental health. I was surrounded by people that like to party and like to go out all the time and drink. And I don't even drink alcohol anymore because that was kind of a um a trigger for me. Uh, and if I surrounded myself with those people, I would have the temptation to party to go out um, to stay up till two, three a.m. And, you know, if you do that, you don't get the sleep you need, which, of course, is going to mess you up for the next day and it's going to mess up your mental health, right? So that's not hanging out with uh, uh, the right people. So I started hanging out with only positive people and people that were good for my mental health. Number two is um, my job. I got laid off during all this stuff due to the pandemic, and I decided to focus more on what I wanted to do to alleviate some stress. I make less money than I did before, but I make my own schedule. I run a content business and obviously the podcast. So my content business helps podcasters start and carry on their podcast journey, everything from inception to editing and and all that. And I also own a business with my wife that's, uh, that's successful. So that to me was more fulfilling mentally because I was able to make my own schedule, spend time with my wife, and I wasn't stressed out about work. So that was number two. And the last one, which is probably the most important to me, is um, incrementality when it comes to my training. So like contrast therapy, uh, I'm big into. And uh, I, even as a trainer, I wasn't big into this. I always would tell my clients, I'm like, oh, you should do the sauna and you should do ice baths and blah, blah, blah. I never did it, though, um, until I was in my late 20s. And then now that's all I do is I do ice baths almost every day. And then I do a sauna because not only does it really help with inflammation, but for your mental health, it's fantastic to uh, relieve a lot of stress and anxiety. And if you can like handle that type of heat exposure, you're releasing these these uh, heat shock proteins that are not only rejuvenate or rejuvenating you essentially, but they're also doing something massive for your mental health, which is you're understanding that that is the worst part of your day. So like when I go into the ice bath and it's 30 degrees, 40 degrees, that's the worst part about my day. So if I go to a buddy's house and I try to microwave my food and he says, what are you, some type of dork bringing your own food? It doesn't matter to me because I just dealt with the worst part of my day in that ice bath. So there, there's some really great benefits to, to that contrast therapy. So those are the three things that, that I personally do. 
Do you do the sauna every day? Do you do after the ice bath or do you do the ice bath every day and the sauna different times? Yeah, it kind of depends on the day. So if I'm training, if I do weights, I'll do only the sauna after my training, um, and w- which is after cardio as well, either the bike or running. And then on my recovery days, when I'm not working out using weights, or if I just do cardio, I'll do ice bath first thing in the morning and then I'll do sauna and I'll do ice bath and sauna, then ice bath. And that. So I'll do three sessions, three rounds. Yeah, ice and ice and hot. And it's great. I, I love it. And I sleep a lot better too. And, you know, if you can get really good at maintaining your sleep, I don't sleep the best. I still have a lot of work to do there. But if you can get really good at getting good sleep, like good REM sleep, you are just less stressed. It's uh, it's amazing what a good night's sleep will do to you. And not a Tylenol PM type of sleep, like no medication, no pills, good sleep. And uh, doing contrast therapy will help with that. Like day one, the next day you'll get great sleep. I think I need to try more of that. Uh, I have terrible sleep. So when you unlock the total sleep picture, let me know. <laughs> I get terrible sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's but the it worst. Does, it makes a difference. Yeah, I have journaled as well. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not the best at that either. Right now, I'm trying to get better at it. That was my news resolution: is journaling every day before I go to bed. Um, but I've been like every other day, I'll skip. Just not on purpose. I just ugh, I get so you know how it is. You get busy. You get caught up in Netflix, and then you're tired and. So journaling, I hear, uh, does wonders as well. So I'll let you know if a year of that, see if that works. I love it. So talk to me about your fitness um, over the years, because you you mentioned you were a personal trainer at 18. Um, obviously, I'm guessing that it probably, your health issues probably affected how you trained or what you trained um, throughout the worst of the years. But how did it evolve? Where are you at now? Where did it start? Where are you at now? Take us through that picture. Yeah, so uh, I'm no longer certified. It's uh, well beyond expired at this point. Um, they've changed body parts, I think, by the time I. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so I was uh, I was I was a trainer for about four years. I did some uh, some work at LA Fitness first, which is a, a big health club in the country here, and then uh, I did some freelance stuff for a couple of years, and then after that, I decided to get out of it only because I just wasn't making enough money. I was in my 20s. I was planning on going to college, I ended up dropping out, but I was like, I need a real job, like no freelance stuff. Like I need 401k and I need that. Turns out that was, I wish I stayed in training, but I got a lot of experience. I ended up uh, working for a couple of big beverage companies, Coca-Cola and Monster Energy, where I, uh, I worked there for over almost two decades, actually about 15 years. And I was in the marketing department, just kind of learning the ins and outs of sales, marketing, and advertising and um, I got the passion for that. And uh, then that's when I opened up my own company. So, you know, throughout this entire journey of almost 15, 20 years from being a trainer to, you know, owning my own company, I've literally worked out, I think, three days a week, at least every single day since I was, uh, you know, 16, 17. And I, I come from a, a family who's who struggle with diabetes. And, um, you know, we're Italian. So it's there's not a lot of skinny folk in our in our uh, lineage, but so I, I kind of always fought. Even as a kid, I was I was pretty heavy, and uh, I started in wrestling before I was even a, a trainer. So that kind of got me in the mindset of like being healthier and what your body is capable of. And then I think since then it just kind of evolved to now. It's if I don't work out at least three four times a week, I could tell just my anger, right? Like I'll snap at people if I'm driving and something cuts me off. If my wife says something like you know. Do you want to go out to dinner? I'm like, what? Like, I'm just like, oh, sorry. Like, I didn't work out last couple of days. So I, I could I could tell that my body needs it almost like it needs caffeine. Like, it's this vice that I I have. So I, I, I hope that I could do it as, as you know, as long as I can because it's, uh, it's a huge part of my life for sure. And do you do a combination of strength training, weight weight training, and cardio you mentioned? Do you do running or what kind of cardio do you do? Yeah, kind of well, my, my puppy, my little corgi makes me run. <laughs> um, three times a day at least. So we do, uh, we try to do five, six miles a day. So we'll usually do the little like, corgi a, does that. Well, <laughs> the last like 10 minutes I drag him, but yeah, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a sweetheart though, but we'll, we'll sprint and, you know, we'll do at least a mile or two miles, uh, each, each morning. And then we'll go on like an afternoon run, either post-workout or pre-workout. It's kind of like warm up, And then at the end of the night, we'll, we'll do a run as well. So that's kind of the cardio. Uh, on my off days, now my days that I train though, um, I do the bike. I do a stationary bike, uh, but I only do strength training um, usually like midday, and I'll do either kettlebells, 
or um, a lot of dumbbells. I got a, a Smith machine at the house. So I work out all from home. So um, my training usually consists of like one or two muscle groups at a time. But I found that especially now, I don't go as heavy now anymore. I used to, like I mentioned earlier, I was about 180 pounds doing 6,000 calories. I was eating a day. I was, I was eating a lot and training hard. And, you know, like I used to do squats and legs three times a week. I used to work out five days a week back then. But, you know, I would do squats and uh, and legs and hammies one day, focus on the quads. And, and then like two days later, I would do like just deadlifts and shoulders, like all these core movements and crazy hardcore workouts. I don't do that anymore. Um, because I don't know if it's affecting my Crohn's, but I find that when I go really, really hard for days on end, I start having some spasms. So that could be mainly the certain exercise. It could be maybe just my body's stressed out. So I, I try to take it easy and now I'm, you know, I'm 140 pounds and, you know, I'm, again, I'm like 3%, 4% body fat, but that to me is like nothing because I'm like so pissed that I'm not 180 pounds anymore. So that was kind of the struggle for me and maybe some people out there are listening to this that could relate. But when you look at yourself in the mirror, I, I did suffer a little bit from, I don't want to say it's body dysmorphia, but it probably was where I looked at myself and I was like, it was so hard to swallow that I'm never going to be the size that I was. And um, that's just because I can't handle the food. You know, the, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of working out, a lot of eating to gain a lot of muscle. And, um, you know, uh, that was hard for me to take, but now I'm, I'm accepting of it because I'm healthier. And What's helped you the... to get, to get to that point of acceptance? Cause body dysmorphia is a huge thing to overcome and to really yeah. separate yourself from and, and have that good mindset. So what are the, some of the things that helped you to get that, to that good place? I think I, I still deal with it every now and again. Um, and I don't think you're ever going to get rid of it, you know, especially when you have this type of chronic disease, um, where it's just, you're going to have good days and bad, you know what I mean? And when you're backed up or if you just had an attack, you, you look at yourself and you're just going to, you're going to feel lethargic and not have energy. You're just probably just going to not like the way you look, even though you look beautiful and you look the same as you did 12 hours ago. But there's just that weird feeling that sometimes we get as Crohn's patients, right? Where we just look at ourselves and we're just like, I just don't feel it, you know, for whatever reason. And for me, I just kind of understood where I looked at myself and I said, listen, this is, this is what I am. This is what I dealt with and it's getting better every day. And I just got to figure out how to make it better each day. And I know that, that there's, it's not going to be perfect. Like I'm not going to be 180 pounds with, you know, no Crohn's outbreaks ever. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to be able to eat whatever I want and, Trust me, I mean, I don't even eat dairy anymore. You don't think I want like mozzarella and and freaking, you know, sausage and gabagool and salami. And I just, you can't have any deli meats. At least I can't, right? So it's a little too hard to digest. So it's it's just one of those things where you just got to look at it and say, this is, you know, this is where I'm at. We're, we're complaining about not eating too much. And there's countries out there, third world countries that they'll be lucky if they're able to eat in three days. So you just kind of have to have some perspective and empathy and you just got to understand this is not the worst that it is. And, um, you know, just surround yourself with people that love you and you're going to get through it. Nothing we can't get through, right? Yeah, it could be worse. We're going to be all right. And with, podca with podcasts like yours where people could listen and relate a little bit, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I think relating is huge. I mean, for me, I know it was, it's just made such a difference in my journey to be able to search, you know, throughout the internet, find different stories and just know that what I'm going through, somebody else has already gone through it and I'm not alone. Just that simple, simple fact that you're not alone makes a huge difference in that mental mindset, I think, at least mm. for me. But. So true. So true. And you know, it's, uh, to that point, it's when, when you look at these little devices and you spend four hours a day, which is probably more. Okay. Uh, but let's say you spend four hours a day, just, um, I did find that I started consuming really good for me content, really good for me content, whether that's about mental health, health, good podcasts, um, people that are dealing with similar situations. Because sometimes we, uh, it's easy to default to escaping, right? Like it's easy to default to watch John Wick and forget that you have Crohn's. But 
you don't understand if you could just spend a little bit of time, not your whole life. You don't have to let it consume you because you don't want it to be powerful than you. But if you spend a little bit of time understanding the disease, relating to it, finding people that have it, consuming content about it, and it shows up on your For You page, it becomes more normal. You know, sometimes we're so scared because, ooh, I'm the only one that has it. Ooh, I don't want to talk about it at the party. But little do you know, statistically, there's probably five people at the party that have it. So you just got to talk about it. You got to be around it. You got to consume it a little bit. So it uh, it shows that. up every now and then. Yeah. I love that. So tell me a little bit, um, do you do any supplements or different foods? You mentioned turmeric, which I know is is a good food mm-hmm. for, I think, reducing inflammation. But do you bring certain types of food into your diet or any kind of supplements to really attack inflammation at the source, per se? Yeah, um, turmeric for sure. Uh, there's this company called Vital Sunshine that's really cool. It's like a paste where you can make golden milk. I don't know if you've ever, ever had golden milk. So, so you can do golden milk. I throw out my smoothies. Um, I found that helps a lot. And um, I've also cut out a lot of seasoning. So not necessarily taking more things, but cutting out a lot. Um, you know, you feel with extra sodium, extra seasoning, sometimes your body gets dehydrated. And if you're not drinking enough water, uh, depending on how your Crohn's reacts to you, that might dehydrate you a little bit, which would make things hard to pass or maybe it would make too rough to pass. So that could cause some outbreaks. So um, I just, I keep things clean. I don't really have a lot of supplements. The only supplementation I typically do is um, in order to get my protein because I'm not able to because of my situation, because I'm plant-based typically, even though there is protein and a lot of plants and beans and legumes and stuff, but I don't have a lot of fiber, right? Like beans and stuff, as we know, could be aggressive for us. So I have a lot of protein shakes. I'll, I'll intake almost uh, 70 to 100 grams of protein per day. There's this company, Orgain, that I use. Um, and it's a, a plant-based uh, protein powder, pea, sunflower, and I think pumpkin or something. So I do a lot of protein shakes, even though it's not sexy and, and cool to talk about, but <laughs> that's that's easy. And then when I do salads, I'm very, uh, very, very cautious of how I do my salad. I used to do a lot of like straight spinach. Just got to be careful of that. So I'll, I'll do a lot more like mixes, arugula, romaine, and salads, as opposed to just straight spinach. I would I would mix it up, do some microgreens as well. So that's typically what I do, but I only eat two times a day. I do a lot of intermittent fasting. Um, so I'll, I'll have my last meal at 8 p.m. And then I'll have my first meal until 1 p.m. the next day. And usually that meal is pretty dense. Um, uh, about a cup of oatmeal, maybe some blueberries, raspberries, half a banana. And then I'll usually work out about an hour after that. And I'll have my protein shake right after that, which puts me right at about 3 o'clock. And then I don't eat again until dinner. And my dinner is usually pretty light. That's when I do the salads and, and the light things. Um, I try not to do any carbs or anything like that at night because I found that I would wake up like midday, like very uncomfortable and bloated. So I cut my carbs off like at 5 p.m. I don't eat any carbs after that. So I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting. I've been doing Mm -hmm. it for years now. Um, I think, honestly, I think that's been one of the biggest things that's helped me, helped my body to really keep Crohn's in remission and just keep the inflammation in my body low. Mm. Um, so tell me about a little bit about your intermittent fasting journey. Is it something that you really think has played a key role in keeping you out of the ER and how long have you been doing it? Yeah. So I, I've been doing it almost as long as I've been, uh, plant-based. Uh, interestingly, I kind of fell into it through my podcast where I, I would interview a lot of nutritionists and experts and Everyone just kept talking about talking. I'm like, Ugh, that sounds horrible. Only eating twice a day. What? But people don't understand. Like when when they think intermittent fasting, they think, oh, so you're just having like a salad and grilled chicken. No, you're eating your two thousand calories or three thousand calories in a day, but you're just doing it in a short amount of time frame, so that way your body could rest more. And it's not so far fetched because now you're just, I mean, half of it you're sleeping. So it's not that everyone always is so scared of it, but you're. You're already intermittent fasting when you're sleeping. You just got to go a little bit longer. And uh, you can still have coffee if you want to have coffee or juice or something like that. But I, I kind of found it because as I was mentioning earlier on the show that when I would have episodes, I would actually, I was forced to do it. I would just juice and then I would do my intermittent fasting. But technically my fasting was like a full day of just juicing and no coffee, just water. But then I was like getting getting relief and I was like, maybe I should just try this. So then I go really hard with intermittent fasting. I do 16 hours typically, 
but I might even go sometimes as 20 or a full day if I had like a really heavy meal or I could feel like you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like when you, when you're about to get it, you're like, Ooh, something. Ooh, immediately. That's when I do a full day fasting. I don't even wait for me to go and curl up like a fetal position. Like I, so I just, just I kind of do it it's, off ahead. <laughs> that's right. And you know, yeah, it's to your point. It's, it's definitely helped uh, a lot with relief. I think we just, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it was 20 years ago. But food nowadays is just such garbage. Um, I even grow my own food too. There's a lot of plants and fruits and salad. I, I have this system called My Garden, which is like an AI-powered, really cool system. Uh, and everything you can grow and you keep it indoors and it waters itself and it has artificial light. So I've been doing that uh, for almost a year. And of course, I eat other stuff. I don't just eat off that. I'm not a freak. But uh, eventually, I'd like to one day be able to grow everything. And um, that to me is fascinating because when I eat the, this lettuce, I don't even have to wash it because it's indoors. It's not sprayed with anything. And it's like the best salad that I've ever had in my life. And, you know, even when you look at salads like you buy at Publix or Kroger, you don't understand. Like, just think about it for a second. Someone picks that. Let's say it's from an organic farm, even though it's probably not. Even though it says organic, most likely it's not organic, by the way. And they pick it. They put it in a truck. That truck goes to a warehouse. They pack it. 17 people touch it before it even gets on the truck to Kroger. Once it gets to Kroger, it stays in the back for God only knows how long. Who knows what the temperature there is. Then it goes on the shelf. Then a bunch of people touch it, pick it up, look at it. Then you grab it. Then you take it home and eat it. You better wash it. <laughs> yeah, you better wash it. You have to wash it. But even still, I see people, my wife, we argue about this all the time. She'll wash it with like her salad. She'll wash it with water. We all do it, right? It's in the strainer. You wash it. You pat it dry with a paper towel. Oh, it's gone. It's completely cure of any type of diseases. And I'm not going to get a coli. No, that's it, you don't know what's on it unless you wash that shit with soap. And that wouldn't be very good. So it's like, you know, it's just food's tainted. So I've realized that if I could eat less food, even though it doesn't sound as sexy or fun, but you know, there's never been, um, there's never been somebody that like died of food poisoning, um, or E. coli by not eating. It's only people that eat the food, right? Like, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm so terrified of, of things not to put, you know, bad juju out there, but it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't even like going to restaurants. We talked about this earlier where it's just, who knows where that food's coming from? I don't know. Like, you ever been to a Chinese restaurant? Come on. Is that chicken? <laughs> the Jumbo style? I don't know. Better not think about it. <laughs> that's right. And don't get me wrong. That's the best stuff, by the way. Like, I don't want to bash anybody that loves it. I love me some Jumbo style. I used to eat that all the time with some, oh, with some chicken or whatever that is. And, oh, it was so good. 3 a.m., wasted, generous sow chicken and Chinese. Just don't think about the path of where it came from and who's cooking it and going on in the kitchen. So so what do you grow at home? You obviously grow lettuce. What else do you have? Is it like a hydroponic kind of a thing or do you have dirt in there and it waters itself? Or it, I'll, I'm going to send it to you after this. It's such a cool system. Um, it's It literally comes in these little pods and you put these pods in. Almost kind of looks like a really fancy PVC pipe. And you put it in there and it's, they're not sprouted yet. They're completely in. And then there's tubes in the PVC pipe that feed it with the water. So the soil is actually built into the ponds. But um, what do I got going on there now? I picked off all my kale because I went hardcore with kale. But I got, um, I got butterhead lettuce. I got sweet potatoes or sweet potatoes. I got sweet peppers, um, cherry tomatoes, cilantro, parsley, um, I got baby kale that's coming in uh, this week and you just order, you get credits and you order X amount per month. Um, mini strawberries. There's like, you know, 30 or 40 things that I order and then each, each pod kind of has it. And, you know, you got to be careful with the amount of time you cut it. So sometimes I do run out of it and have to order it, but that way you get good. You get strategic on like cutting from the outside and, you know, by the time you get to the middle, then the outside starts to grow again and, um, you can't feed a family of five, obviously, but it's just me and the wife. So, but you know, again, we don't eat, you know, we, we eat off that thing once a day, you know. Sounds to me like I'm picturing little Keurig, like little K-cups almost in this little 
plant yeah. farm kind of a thing. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. When I send you a picture, you're going to freak out. It's yeah. the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And and it even gives you, um, uh, it's it's everything's powered by AI. So it gives you updates and it waters everything automatically. The lights turn on when you need them to. But what's even more cool is it'll capture a time lot or time lapse video because it's got cameras on it too. Wow. This thing's so, high tech. <laughs> yeah. So the cameras, they'll detect whether or not it's sprouting, if it's supposed to sprout at a certain time, because it knows what you ordered. So if things aren't sprouting, it'll send you a message and say, hey, things look weird. You know, you should check and make sure these are sprouting. If they're not sprouting, you need to spray it with water. And like it gives you all these little things because I am horrible. I, I do not have a green thumb. I'm the worst thing when it comes to that. So this was perfect. And then once you get the time lapse, once everything grows, then it'll send you a video that's like a minute long and it shows from like inception to how big it is. So tell me about your podcast. What was kind of the inspiration behind it? Because I'm kind of guessing and I, I may be guessing wrong here, but I'm kind of thinking that your health journey is kind of what sparked the idea. So tell me a little bit about um, this journey because you mentioned to reduce your stress. You completely changed your career. So you're an entrepreneur, you've got your podcast, you've got everything. So tell me how it all kind of feeds together and where that stemmed from. Yeah. Well, that was pretty much it. You nailed it. Um, that's it. All done. No, uh, I'm a mind yeah, reader. That was good. <laughs> no, we, uh, well, once I, um, once I got married and me and the wife started getting serious about, you know, getting a house and all this type of stuff, um, uh, she didn't want to hear me talk anymore because I was so, uh, I was so annoying having all these ideas. I want to talk about health and, you know, I'm like, hey, did you see this research paper on this? And she's like, ugh, stop. So I was like, you know, I need to talk to people that are smarter than me. So that's kind of ha how it happened where I got interested, like I was mentioning earlier, where I stopped talking to doctors and I started surrounding my people with, you know, nutritionists and Crohn's patients. And it just kind of like, uh, I don't know, the inception of like just wanting to talk to people. And they, I enjoyed so many conversations that I would do either over the phone or on it wasn't zoom back then it was skype is what i was using <laughs> um skype is so old school but i would have these skype conversations and i'm like this is i should record this like this is a really good conversation because you know sometimes you have those great combos at like a party or at a friends and we don't think about it i do as a podcaster and i'm sure you do as well but when you walk away from those conversations you're like ah, like i'm never gonna hear that again like that conversation's over. It's lost. Like no one's gonna, I'm not even gonna remember it because memory is a weird thing, right? Like we don't, like if you think you remembered what happened when you were five, you're crazy. That's, that's your brain playing tricks on you. So I was like, I need to record everything. This will be so cool. And then I started recording it. And now here I am at, I think 200 episodes, I think I, I'm doing. So that was kind of the uh, inception and the growth of it. So just kind of talking about health and wellness. And then now I talk more about financial health, physical health, mental health. So I kind of do the, the three pillars. Um, and of course, mental health is kind of encompass encompassing of social media. So I have a lot of influencers, creators, and filmmakers on there as well, where we talk about kind of the effects of social media, uh, on the brain and, um, on our psyche. So, uh, but it's been fun. It's been really cool to explore it for sure. Well, tell me what we haven't covered. Um, is there any last advice that you want to share with your journey with Crohn's patients who are listening or people who have members in their family with Crohn's disease? I would say um, in a world that is, in a world that we want everything right away, um, there's a lot of chronic diseases out there, Crohn's being one of them, that will put you in check real quick. And um, just don't fight it. There's no cure. And that's okay, because there's no cure when you're missing a leg. So uh, you can't grow back a leg. You can't fix your intestines. You know, it's, it sounds morbid, but when you take a step back and you humble yourself and you just fall to the universe and say, this is what it is, and surround yourself with the like-minded people that think like that as well. You don't need that negativity. You don't need people that don't care about their well-being. We want positive people. We want people that care about their health. And if you could do that, uh, you're going to be fine. You just have to take your time, be patient. You're, you're not going to fix this quick. You might not fix it at all. And again, that's okay because there's a lot of things that aren't in our control. And you can control this, but it is uncontrollable. But you can control it, not all the time. But you can. You just have to figure it out. And every person is different. So a lot of trial and error. 
just take your time. It's all good, man. Like we're good. Life is good. It's one of the things I like to do is I like, I know that it's an uncontrollable disease. There are certain things I can't control, but there are certain things I, I can control. And so when I'm able to take control of those things, I feel like I get a little bit of that power back, whether or not who's up a point, whether it's me or Crohn's at the moment, but I feel like I have a little bit of that power when I can take control of whether it's my diet or just my mental health or just whatever it is I'm doing at that moment. It feels good. So true. Well said. So if people want to keep up with you and maybe listen to your podcast or keep up with your story, where can they find you on the internet? On the internet. <laughs> um, you can follow me at AskJeeves.com. No. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, you could find me everywhere uh, at The Berardo. So that's my handles on TikTok, Instagram, and uh, my blog and podcast is TheBerardo.com. Or you could just search. Uh, I'm on all platforms, Spotify, Apple, iHeart all that jazz at the Barardo podcast. But um, yeah, we talk about health, wellness and social interaction. And uh, me and my wife actually uh, also have a company that I should plug. It's uh, it's called meet cute box. It's oh, a yeah, I did see that on your Instagram. Tell me about, tell me about that. What yeah, is it's it? a, uh, it's a really cool, we just started it um, in May. So we're last May. So we're very excited. We're about to hit our one year anniversary and we, uh, we curate date night boxes for couples, then we ship them to either yourself or to a, a family member that uh, you want to send a gift to. And each item in those boxes is a surprise and it's from a local business. So we gather about four or five items from local businesses around the world and you could try out these items and each box is themed every month. So obviously this month is a Valentine's Day box. Um, last month we did a really cool like time capsule box where we did some cute things where you would store a time capsule and you would open it on New Year's next year. So uh, just little things like that. And a lot of items that we have uh, are from a local business. You won't find them on Amazon or anywhere else. And it's just kind of our way to get back to local business while also keeping relationships uh, alive as well. I love it. Very cool. Well, I will put all of the links into the show notes so that people can find them easily. But do you have any any last parting words, questions for me or any last things to share with our audience today? Um, I would just say uh, just uh, keep listening to your podcast because it is great and I appreciate what you're doing and spreading the uh, spreading the awareness of Crohn's. So just everyone keep your head up and uh, life is life is good. So just have fun out there. Stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohnsfitnessfood at gmail.com. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohnsfitnessfood or visit my blog, crohnsfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and keep going, my fellow warriors. Warriors.